Uh, my name is Paul McCann, and we're continuing with our series with a great guest today, uh, Bernard Byrne. Uh, I met Bernard for the first time uh, when he was Chief Financial Officer with AIB, and uh, AIB were sending their uh, executives to meet with people in the business community, law firms and accountancy firms. And Bernard came in and met with some of the partners, um, really, really uh, good communicator, lots of integrity. And the purpose of the meeting was to give comfort of where AIB was and what it was doing, and you know, given its importance to the Irish economy. Uh, and Bernard really assured us at that time that AIB was uh, in the, going in the right direction. Of course, Bernard went on to become chief executive of AIB. He is now head of capital markets with Davies. And he's had a really interesting and varied career. And we're delighted, Bernard, that you've uh, joined us uh, here today. So welcome, Bernard. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. Um, I, I start off with a really um, complex uh, strategy question, Bernard. I mean, who was cutting your hair uh, during COVID? <laughs> that, that's uh, my daughter. She's 17. And uh, she, uh, she, she gets to do everything other than the bit on the top. Unfortunately, the bit in the top stopped growing a long time ago, so it's it's mostly a side job. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to Hannah for that. At least you have hair, which is good. Yeah. How, are you, how are you feeling, Bernard? And tell you coping with COVID and working. From yeah, home? no, absolutely, absolutely. I think like a lot of people, uh, you know, it's it's slightly strange, obviously, and occasionally it's very strange. Um, I'm basically working from home most of the time, um, but I'm in the office occasionally. Uh, Davy has kept operating through the whole period, and obviously the trading side of the house has had to keep uh, moving. So um, I, I have the benefit of occasionally getting out and, and seeing what's going on. So you could kind of track the progress back and the level of activity increasing over the last number of months. Um, and I suppose we're at this new phase now where uh, there's, there's a pent-up demand uh, amongst everyone to do different things, while at the same time, you know, clearly hasn't gone away as an issue. So we're all we're all in a slightly different space so who knows um but i've no i've no very young kids so uh there, there there hasn't been the same distraction as i know some people have had when trying to trying to uh, parent at the same time well, thanks thanks a million bernard for joining us today and um you've had a great career uh, and you've worked in lots of really interesting places and really interesting roles um just could we maybe just start off maybe at the start and but you know, growing up, um, were you always interested in business? What were you like growing up in school? And uh, yeah, uh, so um, probably always had an interest in in the business and sort of math side of things. So accountancy was was certainly in the in the list in secondary school, and and you know maths. Whereas maybe some of the language side wasn't quite as strong. Uh, Irish and French didn't feature as much, you know. So um, that there was probably a, a sign there that uh, I, I was going to go in a certain direction. Um, grew up in Black Rock, uh, youngest of four kids, three older sisters. And yeah. um, so I constantly am told that's somewhat formative, um, and we'll see how that plays out. Spoiled by your sisters? Well, my sisters think I was spoiled by them. I think I was bullied by them. But I mean, that's that's a that's a different perspective, you know. Uh, I cert I certainly learned. Uh, <laughs> What it was like to be the youngest of four when three of them were uh, elder sisters. So um, it's a different so you, perspective. So you, so you went, you started your career with PwC. 
But of course, we're both old enough to know, was it PwC back then or was it Coopers or was it? No, I, so I was on the Craig Gardner side. Craig Gardner um, so side I joined Craig Gardner and um, the Craig Gardner merged into uh, Price Waterhouse at that stage. Um, and then I left by the time the Coopers PW merger happened. So uh, I was actually was probably the Craig Gardner um, side of the house. Exactly. And you stayed there a while. You, you didn't just serve your articles. We attempted to stay in professional services. Yeah, it's probably a good a good time to fess up to the very haphazard way I've handled my career. Um, it's generally been um, driven by somebody asking me a question that I hadn't considered before, such as, oh, do you want to move? So I, I was actually quite happy in, um, in, in professional services and was uh, probably uh, thinking about a career there. And we all know, you never know quite what will happen there, but it was, it was certainly in my thinking. And then... Um, uh, sort of an inquiry came from outside to uh, take a different job and I suddenly went actually I probably don't want to spend my whole career in professional services so um, I then decided to move and um, so that were was the start. Were you on the audit side Bernard? I was in audit yeah I was in the audit and advisory side at that stage Um I was a manager in the practice and um, actually the original inquiry that came in was to go to London into an internal function internal audit function uh, but actually, uh, within within the month that I was leaving, I ended up going to ESB International instead, uh, which was obviously based in Dublin. So, um, uh, yeah, all the all the audit practice was was helpful, um, but then moved into the uh, more commercial side at that stage. And ESB International has has a great reputation. Isn't it? It's a real shining light in terms of what what you, what, this, what a really good semi state can do. It's it's a really highly respected business. Yeah, it, listen, it was a, I, I knew relatively little about it, um, other than any of my engineering mates at the time used to speak very highly of the international side of the business. It was a real um, uh, sort of destination company, if you like, because of its international activity. Um, the relationship that ESBI had with its parent, and I discovered this on both sides over my career, you know, ESBI was the adolescent at that stage, um, nearly probably 2,000 people in it, very active internationally and very good reputation, as you've said, um, punched well above its weight, to be honest, um, because of that reputation. Um, but it was a great place to work. You know, when I joined, the part I joined, there was only seven people in it when I joined. And when I left nearly five years later, there was 700. So it was, you know, a very dramatic growth engine, which had the sort of relationship that many adolescents have with their parents. You know, it was testy at times. Um, we thought we knew everything and they were pretty clear in the parent that we didn't. So, uh, you know, it was a great place to learn how to be in a subsidiary, how to grow a business. Uh, there was no template. It was all international, Middle East, Far East, US. Um, so it was, it was a fantastic activity for a guy in his 20s uh, who just spent his life on an airplane. And what, what was your role in <clears throat> So I was the commercial director of the international investments business. Um, so in that, we basically, we were trying to land these long-term contracts, uh, facility management contracts to run and operate either new power stations or power utilities um, in either developed economies as they were deregulating or developing economies that were looking to do things differently. So you ended up dealing with, you know, GE, Siemens, uh, Mitsubishi, Westinghouse, all the major equipment suppliers and all of the major funding agencies. So it was, it was a very unusual activity, which I knew nothing about beforehand, 
Um, but it only arose as an opportunity because the energy markets were deregulating internationally. There's big numbers. It was, it was for, for a young man in his 20s, it's big numbers and it's international. So it's good exposure, isn't it, at this stage of your, of your career? Ah, you know, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, it was, you know, the projects were five hundred million dollar projects to two billion dollar projects. That was, that was our average project that we were involved in. Now we weren't obviously getting all of that. Uh, we were, we were a piece of that, a small piece in many occasions, but they were ten and twenty year contracts. So there was a lot of work involved, and there wasn't really a rule book. It was, you know, all being developed at the time. So that was, that was what was interesting. You, you had to uh, go out and. You might land in Pakistan or Malaysia and have to start your business development activity, you you and a telephone book, you know. Uh, so it was very different and, as I say, very exciting at that point of my career um, and probably the most unusual and interesting phase to date. And at this stage, you know, you're working 10 years plus. Was there, a, was there someone who's a key influence on you or was there someone yeah. that you started to learn? you know, leadership lessons or business lessons? I, I mean, I would say I've been very, very fortunate all the way through that um, um, in PwC, I had a, you know, a few people who, at senior manager or partner level who were very generous with their time and mentored me um, at that point. And, you know, huge respect for, for those individuals given their commitment and I could see how it developed me. And then in, so I was the likes of Declan McKeown who unfortunately has just passed, um, and then, um, you know, in ESBI, um, the chief exec at the time of that business that I was in, Donald Curtin, who uh, a very visionary, uh, strategic guy who spent a lot of time developing the team as well. He was tough. Uh, he was a tough guy, but very strategic. So I, I feel all the way through my career, I've been very lucky that I've been able to work for and with really interesting people, all of whom have been quite different. Um, but they've been generous with their time. So it's certainly one of the things I hope um, I, I, I try and give back is that it's worth spending time trying to develop people because it can pay off hugely. And I certainly benefited from it. And then you, you went to IWP? Yeah, so, so IWP, again, I was moving towards my, uh, you know, I was 29 at that stage. And um, um, while I was really enjoying what was going on in ESBI, the, the adolescent had probably outgrown the ambition of the parent. Um, when deals were that large and we were starting to have to write equity checks, that was probably not exactly where the parent wanted to be, ESB wanted to be at that stage. Um, so it was going to end up being a problem. So an opportunity arose again, and not because of my brilliant career planning. Um, and there was a finance director role going in a PLC, IWP. And it seemed to me that notwithstanding the experience I was getting was great, it was quite focused on uh, structured finance, um, whereas actually more generalized um, finance director role would be interesting. So went to went to IWP, um, and IWP was a kind of a small Irish PLC, mid-sized PLC, three thousand staff in it, all basically other than about a hundred people outside of Ireland. Head office was thirteen people, um, and everyone else was in the UK, Europe. Um, Poland, France, Germany, and the US. So uh, a different business um, and a different opportunity. So that's why I went. And you were there for about six years as well? 
Yeah, so so again, um, there seems to be a little pattern of sort of change in every six years. Uh, would you agree, Brian? Yeah, so so well, well, when we come on to AIB, I, I obviously got a bit slow because I was nine years there, mm -hmm. but uh, at somewhere between you know five or six years and nine years, there there is a there is a pattern there. It'd be hard to deny that, um, and we can come on and talk about that. But I think there probably is a an underlying philosophy going on there that you can arrive in, you need to learn about a place, and your first year has to be all about that. Then I think you can add quite a bit of value, um, and you can help move an organization. But then maybe somebody like me um, becomes um, more problematic than helpful, and you know, maybe it's time to move on. So whether that's six years or 10 years, um, I don't think it's beyond that for somebody like me. I mean, there's many different ways people look at things and do things, but I think you can add quite a bit of value. And certainly one of the perspectives I would uh, have is that most people, having moved to a lot of different industries, everyone thinks their industry is unique and it's impossible to move from one industry to another. And I, I think that's generally not true. Yeah, I think most industries have one thing in common, which is they've loads of people. Um, and mostly it's about the people. Obviously, you need to understand the industry, um, but businesses tend to have 99% of the people who understand the business, um, and sometimes they're missing the other piece. So it always needs a mix. Um, and so you decided to go back to ESB. You know, to use the football analogy, Bernard, like Howard Kendall, you should never go back. <coughs> yeah. you, went, you went back to ESB. Yes, so, so uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Um, so IWP, uh, most uh, most people who might be watching this wouldn't know much about IWP, but um, at the back end of my career there as deputy CEO and finance director, I tried a management buyout. Um, I had a sort of divergent um, strategic view than than the uh, CEO at the time, and so we, we agreed that we'd see if I could or couldn't execute that. Um, it wasn't accepted, the price, uh, so I kind of moved on. At that stage, it was at, you know, the decision of what you would do next, um, and the chief exec at the time who was brand new into ESB, Porrick McManus, uh, who actually I, I never really worked with um, in ESBI, he was on a different side of the house, um, was trying to do something different in the parent of ESB. And to some extent, there had been a bit of a takeover of the parent by the um, subsidiary at that stage. So there was a lot of change taking place in ESB. The Irish market was deregulating. And interestingly, at the time, the then minister, Mary O'Rourke, had asked the business to to privatize. Uh, so they were setting themselves up for privatization. So I kind of joined, thought it was a bit different again, um, went through a fairly major rationalization process in the business, was part of the team that did that, you know, deregulation was was playing hard through the industry. So it was different, um, uh, very enjoyable again, different set of people, different culture. Uh, but, you know, again, an industry that I probably knew something about from my past, um, but it was, uh, well, I suppose, a new opportunity again. And then I suppose where most people would uh, see you, see you in, a, in, a, in a more prominent role is 10 years ago. And you joined AIB. Yeah. And it was that you joined AIB post 2007. You joined in 2010 when the world was upside down. And surely that is the bravest career move in a long time. Like, talk, talk us through that decision. Yeah, it was, again, I, I probably 
as as you'll have done the maths already, you know, probably six or seven years into uh, uh, ESB. And again, the decision was, you know, what do I do next in ESB at that stage? And a few bits kind of came together. And one of them was a phone call saying, would I be interested in thinking about the CFO role in AIB? And my response was pretty simple, was, are you mad? <laughs> um, uh, but but the, uh, the agreement was, I'd think about it over a weekend. And over the weekend, to be honest, I kind of reversed all that thinking and said, well, why not? You know, it's again, it's a different industry. Um, it's um, got a real problem. Uh, there needs to be quite a lot of change and without being overly altruistic about it, uh, I was kind of fed up hearing everyone just blaming banks and blaming people and saying they need to sort it out. Um, and I kind of just always think that people either need to get on and solve something or stop complaining about it. Uh, um, you don't get free rides on these things and suddenly this opportunity was there in front of me. So I was faced with the dilemma of would I be true to that sort of principle? So I said, well, I'd never get another opportunity to go into a bank. And, you know, AIB was obviously a big brand name, a big PLC, and, you know, decided I'd give it a go. So, so, you, so, you, so, you, so you, you took the opportunity. I, I suppose in one sense, Bernard, it was a help that you weren't part of the banking establishment. Is that, is that part of your thinking in terms of that you could go in kind of with a fresh pair of eyes? Yeah, no, absolutely. It was it was definitely now some of this is probably me, you know, tweaking the way I thought about it because of what's happened in history. But, you know, it was it was part of the arrangement at the time that they needed an external CFO. And, you know, AIB, um, and I can say this reasonably safely, probably wouldn't have sought an external CFO. Yeah. Um, and certainly wouldn't have thought they'd get one from a, an electricity utility. Um, if that's what they were, you know, if they were left to their own devices at that time, but they weren't, and they needed to get an external CFO. Um, it was hugely helpful, and the way it played out, I mean, within six months, I was the longest serving executive in the bank. Um, so everyone had gone, and the entire set of rules around banking got rewritten during the next number of years. Um, so I think it was a unique time. Um, I think it'd be hard for somebody else to come in to the middle of that if all the rules had been rewritten, but I kind of got to witness them being rewritten and I was part of the team and probably the beginning of the next team that was beginning to move the bank on. So there was massive change in the organization, a lot of really good people there. And, you know, change just happened, whether they were part of the problem or not. Um, it was it was it was a pretty uh, brutish approach that was adopted around the whole thing. But that was necessary at the time. Um, so it was you did, amazing. You did enjoy that job. Did you enjoy that job. Well, I, listen, I, I try and have an attitude to all these things, which is whatever you're doing, try and enjoy it. Um, so, there, listen, there was some desperate times there and it was, you know, I, I hope never to have to work as hard as that ever again. And the demands were, you know, unreasonable on, on most occasions. And certainly for the first two years, I'd say it wasn't a great existence in terms of your, your, your work-life balance was a bit of an aspiration. But you were never going to be involved in anything more interesting. And um, I feel that, you know, when I was leaving, I said it to the guys that I'll never be involved in anything more important, yeah. uh, probably in terms of a business sense. Um, and it was great to do that. In, in terms of um, one of the challenges, I think, with a job, um, and then even moving on to, to the CEO job, but, 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 so if we just stick with the CFO position at the moment, 
you've so many stakeholders to please. You've got to, I mean, how many, how many people were reporting into at that stage in the finance function, for example, just, was that like 50 people? Or? Uh, well, I mean, the, the, actually the finance function wasn't radically bigger than the ESB one. There was probably maybe five, 600 people in the finance function at the right. time. Um, and, you know, it, it was going through, I mean, finance was at the heart of the process around 2010, 2011, because obviously at the beginning it's oh, like a recapitalization and then it ended up as a, you know, a, a nationalization and, you know, regulators and everyone wanted information, you know, yesterday. So it was, it was right in the heart of it and the systems weren't designed to provide that sort of information. So there was a huge uh, pressure into the organization around that. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the people were great and they were amazingly resilient um, and notwithstanding all the opprobrium that was heaped upon the industry at the time, everyone kind of knew what they were doing was somewhat important to get right. Um, and, you know, not everyone maybe moved in that direction, but the vast majority of people did. And, and you could feel nothing other than pride for how committed they were to just try and improve things. If they were there for the long haul, it was because they really wanted to help fix it. Or if they were new, they were coming in because they wanted to be part of the next thing. In, ter in terms of yourself, Brian, at this stage, you know, it's all eyes on you insofar as you've got, you know, politicians putting pressure on you, the media, regulators, customers, staff, like, there's a huge amount of pressure that would go along with that. I mean, how, how, did, you cope with, how, how did you cope with that kind of pressure? Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely pressure in that role. So, you know, um, and everyone has an opinion about what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, you mentioned stakeholders there, and I certainly developed a, a very different perspective on the importance of really understanding stakeholders and being clear about what their legitimate expectations were and what the other ones were yeah. and who are the key stakeholders and who are just people who comment on things that stakeholders comment on. So yeah, you have to spend a bit of time thinking that through so that you can focus on the stuff you can really influence and need to influence as opposed to getting caught up in a maelstrom of noise. Um, and, and fortunately, I'm probably okay at that. Um, and you do need quite a bit of resilience. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And you need a sense of humor. Um, and you need a good team. Um, and I think if you get all those bits right, and when you come home, you need a family that's kind of, you know, very supportive and, and understanding and helpful. And fortunately, I had that as well. So, you know, between family, friends and all that, you need those little support groups that don't go, you know, telling you what they think you should be doing as well, because there's more than enough people telling you what you should be doing. Um, and remember, I always say, you know, don't take yourself too seriously, you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm doing a job, I'm doing it the best I could. Yeah. Um, clearly not going to get everything right. Um, but overall, hopefully we'll get more things right than wrong. And every year you look at it and say, well, did we make it better or worse? And hopefully every year we were able to say, actually, we made it better. And so you have to maintain a healthy sort of perspective on it. And vitally, you have to do that with your team. So you have to be a source of optimism at that time and convince people that you will get through it. Um, and I think we did. And I suppose as you're in the job and you know, you're, you're becoming more comfortable in the job, 
did when did it start to, to, to dawn on you that you know you could be the CEO of this of this business? Well, well, I only managed to survive as CFO for a year. Uh, so, um, and what had happened was, um, again, as part of the fundamental changes that were going on, a new executive chairman came in, David Hodgkinson, who had been the chief operating officer of HSBC. Um, and he came in in October of that first year. So it was only six months in. Um, and I got on well with David and David was looking to rebuild a team. Uh, so he asked me to move into the retail bank by the time we got to May, so one full year afterwards. And, you know, my key advantage, as I'm happy to say, was I was new, as you've mentioned. I was somebody with no baggage. It wasn't because I had a detailed understanding of retail banking at the time, um, but I didn't have any history to worry about. And to be honest, having effectively been nationalized at that stage, the finance job was going to be different. You know, all of the you know, we'd sold things we needed to sell, we had recapitalized. So the, the role ahead for finance was going to be different than the role ahead in restructuring the business and retail was at the heart of the business. So again, it was another little move to go, actually, this is different, let's take it on. So to be honest, once I started there, I started, you, you, you get a lot of the business under your wing. And that team in many respects, from that team that we put together around 2011, 2012, 2013 became the core that became the leadership team of the bank over the next number of years with a number of people, important people coming in from outside to help. Um, but it was kind of built from a strategy in 2011, 2012, which said, we're going to re-envisage this bank and do it differently. And that created a lot of momentum. And then ultimately in 2015, it led to the CEO role. What was that like? Uh, or, or maybe ask maybe ask another question. Did you ever think you'd be chief executive one of the pillar banks well yeah certainly certainly not when i was sitting in school i didn't um and you know at no point could you ever take these things for granted <laughs> and you know there are always so many different outcomes that can happen depending on the type of person they need the strategy that needs to be pursued the position of the board so i i'm always pretty sanguine about this that you know there is never a, a very obvious choice all the way through there is the person that fits at that point in time. I, I felt that I had a good chance by the time that role came around, um, but you know, others probably felt the same. Um, so I don't think I ever assumed it was it was mine. Um, and to be honest, my main motivation in all these things isn't actually to be the chief executive. It's uh, kind of driven by that vision um, and that idea of what are we trying to do. And it kind of motivates me to get into a position where it causes it to happen. And the, the best way to get it to happen was to be the CEO. Um, so that's that's kind of, it was important um, at that time to do that. And fortunately the two bits came together, the, the opportunity and um, my ability to convince people I could do it, so. I heard you speak when you were CEO, but um, I can't remember, it was a Dublin Chamber, Dublin Chamber I think it was. And you spoke about everyone on your team. Um, it was very much putting your team and their achievements and what you were doing forward rather than rather than yourself. Would that be a, would that be a style of yours or would that be something that you believe in? Well, well hopefully. Uh, it's uh, As I've said, I, I'm not and never seek to be uh, the industry expert. And once you kind of get that perspective, 
and you can apply it to almost anything, I think you realize that actually there's always going to be other people who are better at things. Um, and the key is trying to get a group of people together who can work well enough together to achieve something that is more than the individual collective, the individual capabilities. So for me, you know, I, I had a moment, to be honest, it was back in ESB where it happened when I went from being one of 13 people in IWP head office and three of those are PAs. So, you know, if I wasn't physically in the building in IWP, it mattered. 10% um, of the workforce wasn't there. Um, when I went into ESB, I was one of 400 people in finance. I was irrelevant in terms of my work effort. So I gained a real appreciation of what the word director means. Um, and it was formative over the years in ESB, to be honest, and then I brought it forward, which is my role isn't to have the best ideas. My role isn't to try and be some you know, super thinker in the corner that just lands ideas. It is to try and create a team that does that. Um, obviously, as anyone who knows me will, will, will say, you know, it's not that I'm without ideas, hopefully, but the benefit of the whole thing is if you can get a team moving together, it's far more powerful. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that is part of my style at this stage. And so did you enjoy the CEO job? Oh yeah, it was, well, again, the other analogy is, you know, on, on average, it was, it was like many other jobs, but the highs were much higher and the lows were much lower. Um, the average was about the same. So it was an amazing job to have. It was, you know, we talk about privilege and, and uh, getting rare opportunities. It was that. I mean, it was um, a phenomenal opportunity to, to lead an iconic organization. But there's no, there's no way when I was sitting doing my leaving, um, I was ever thinking I was going to get a job that important. So it was a real privilege to do it. Um, it was hard, as I've said. There was definitely tough days. It was a tiring job um, because you know you're you're involved in a lot of things, but it was very rewarding in terms of being able to see how it was moving on. Um, so it was a great experience, and as I've mentioned, I don't think I'll ever do a job that was as important. Uh, it's others to decide as to whether that went well or badly, but it was certainly and still is obviously a very important job um, in a way that you know other roles may be less so. Things things went well. I mean, in terms of the various stakeholders you talked about, government, the regulators, staff, customers, the media, it, 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 it felt like, you know, it, you know, things were going well with the bank and you were, you were leading the bank well, things were progressing and, and you, you, you took us all a little bit by surprise then. Yeah, well, um... I always leave when it's good. No, no. <laughs> uh, I'd been there nine years at that stage, and um, that for me was a long period of time. Um, as I mentioned, the, the CFO role obviously led to different roles, so there was many different roles involved all the way through, and I was learning a lot all the way through that. Um, the key was getting the IPO done and getting to the point where the bank had been brought back to those public markets. That was a real if you like, sign of the uh, next stage of development of the bank, that, that we had achieved an awful lot of what was set out to do. Um, and again, I wasn't particularly thinking about moving on, um, but my mind was probably moving in that direction because government had not sold down more of the bank, and therefore some of the strategic options that I might have been thinking about were going to be harder to achieve. Um, and I was, you know, I turned 50, 
and I was going, if I stay here for another five years, um, whether I would or wouldn't have been able to, it's a separate point, I was going to be in my mid-50s, and then what do you do next? So I was clear that it wasn't the end of the road for me. I didn't want it to be my last executive role, um, so I wanted to do something else, and the bank was in good shape. Um, it had a number of strong candidates that could take it on, and so opportunity happened to match with um, my sort of shifting mental perspective. So um, moving to Davy um, and to you know to replace somebody as iconic as Kieran McLaughlin uh, just seemed like a unique opportunity. So yet again, I was kind of going, "That's a bit different. Um, let's try that." Davies, of course, is, is another. You've gone from one great brand, Irish brand, uh, to another. Davies is a fantastic reputation, both here and internationally. Yeah, and and I was well aware of the the power of the brand, the power of the business. Um, they've been one of the three um, leads on the IPO, so with um, effectively with Deutsche and Bank of America Merrill Lynch, and they've done a great job. Um, that's my free advertising. Um, but, you know, they had and they really impressed me through the process um, and their capability uh, shone through. So it was kind of a, I wouldn't have thought of it, being honest. And, you know, if you and I had, had this chat a year before I left AIB, you know, it wouldn't have been on the top 10 list of things that I might have done. Um, but as it arose, I went, actually, it's perfect. Um, it's different. It's not a PLC. It wasn't even the CEO job of, of, of the organization. But it was something that I felt I could add value to, which was taking that um, corporate um, and capital market side and trying to move it on to the next level. I mean, Kieran had been heading that up for 40 years um, and done a brilliant job developing that franchise that we've spoken of. Um, and so therefore it was a, you know, it's a very big pair of shoes to fill and it was a very different role. And that kind of worked for Davey as well because I had a bit of a profile. I was somebody a bit different. And therefore, there was a, a meeting and a marriage of convenience, if you like. So, um, yeah, it's a great brand, though. It's a great brand. I think, I think in terms of you really get to know someone if you're doing an IPO with them. I presume that's when you really get to know some of the guys over there. Yeah. And so there was, you know, great, great people. You know, John Lydon, who held up the corporate side, would be our direct relationship. So I got to know John well, and I work now very closely with John. Um, you know, Ronan Beale and the team. So you get to know them all. Um, and then obviously Kieran um, and Brian less so, um, but it turns out they were watching me. Um, so, you know, uh, you're, you're always on show. Um, they were so happy with the investor presentations. <laughs> that, that, that obviously went okay. Uh, and listen, we were very fortunate. It was, you know, it was a great success, the IPO. And uh, there was a huge level of investor interest. Ireland was in vogue at the time. And, you know, we were able to position our story, which had a lot of success in that story and a lot of change in that story. And it just kind of caught the moment. So it was, uh, it was wonderful to be involved with it. And for the staff in AIB, it was a real transformational moment of, we are now in a different place than we were. And for anyone who was there in 2010, that IPO was a, a hugely significant moment. There'll be people watching Bernard just in, you know, starting out in their careers and um, listening to you. Is there any, is there two or three things you'd say to someone, and to say someone's a really good professional, wants to develop their leadership skills? Is there, is there two or three things you, you, you'd say that you have learned over your years about things they should 
training facilities. Yeah, I, I made a mistake in this once, Paul, because another professional services firm asked me to put one of these quotes and I ended up in a calendar and uh, my wife keeps giving out to me because the advice was just say no. Um, you know, you have to remember to say no to things. There's only so much you can do. And I think that trying to keep that balance right, doing it in a respectful way, but, you know, do less, do it better is probably the, the sort of motto I have in these things. Um, I think sometimes all of us take on too much and don't do it as well as we could. And I think a smaller number of things done really well can be very helpful. And I think the other thing is, you know, um, humility and ego, um, mind the ego and be humble. You know, there's a huge amount of luck involved in everything. And, you know, I could track back, I'm sure you could do the same, um, of the moments when a bit of luck went my way and maybe had it gone the other way, who knows what would have happened. So. Um, there's always people who end up getting a bit of luck um, and don't don't overinflate your perspective of how brilliant you are. You need luck um, and other people need a bit of empathy, sympathy and support because sometimes maybe they're not getting that luck. So try and maintain that humanity and humility um, and work hard. <laughs> Great advice. In terms of Ireland now in June 2020, I mean, particularly on the financial services side, Bernard. I mean, how do you see how do you see things panning out for for Ireland and the whole financial services sector post COVID and, and where we're at at the moment? So I think you know the good news is that the the core part of the banking sector and the financial services sector is actually pretty robust at this point in time. The benefit of all the work, um, however painful some of it might have been, is you know, the banking sector is well capitalized, liquidity is very strong, its ability to act as a transmission mechanism is very positive, and they have a lot of capabilities and skills to get things done. So that's all, you know, you would want it to be like that as you enter a crisis. Um, and you can see that's from what's happening on the national side. Um, you know, the NTMA have done a really good job positioning themselves as well, so we can finance ourselves. So that's all very good. I do think it's going to be in for a challenging time because at the end of the day, this difficult economic scenario and we're definitely not through it yet there's a lot of small businesses and there's a lot of businesses that rely on normal levels of economic activity that are going to find it hard um, there's been a huge amount of inefficiency put into the system relative to that which existed 12 months ago and so even if you take a restaurant coming back it's not operating the same way it can't be as profitable and it's not like those businesses were minting it beforehand. So all that excess cost, all that excess um, challenge, if you like, that they face is coupled with a weak economic environment. So I think that's going to take a while to play out and that is going to manifest back into the financial sector. So I think the banks are going to be a hugely important part of that recovery, as are the government with their support scheme. So, you know, I'm always an optimist um, and I always think that we can come out of this well but it is going to be hard. And I think there's gonna be a lot of activity necessary to help small, medium-sized businesses and larger businesses come through this. So it's definitely not over. Um, we have a long way to go, but if you always think it can be better tomorrow than today, then I think we can achieve it. But the banks are gonna be pretty crucial to helping businesses through this. Bernard, you've had a great career. Um, I'd like to thank you for uh, sharing with us today all of your insights. I'd also like to thank you 
for your service to AIB. I think you did, did a really great job. Uh, and I wish you all the best with your uh, your, your new career in, in daily stock records. So just oh. to say thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Very, very enjoyable. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Bernard. Uh, just to thank, thanks to Bernard and um, that is uh, our uh, first virtual uh, Grand Thornton Leader, Leader Series. Hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, everybody.